two readings this morning. First one is from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 and 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When she found one of great value, she went away and sold everything she had and bought it. Next reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The word of the Lord. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm going to set this down here. Ah. Last week, if you noticed, maybe you didn't notice, but last week in the bulletin it said that um, Reverend Kathy Toby would be preaching this morning. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I, I'm not Kathy Toby, and she's probably much more attractive than I am. Um, but she had a family crisis come up and is not able to be here this morning. And Pastor Steve asked me if I would be willing to fill in, and I'm really happy and honored to do that. We're all excited for Pastor Steve and Cindy. They are in Florida receiving a little bundle of joy. And what a wonderful and magnificent thing. I just want to say I deeply appreciate uh, that you took time this morning to come to church. Because the truth is, there's all kinds of other things you could be doing, right? Winter's almost here. You could be hiking. You could be, some people are actually skiing. Um, you could be fishing. You could do any, you could be watching football. But you chose to come here. And I just think that's great. Um, thanks for being here. For those of you that don't know me, uh, I'm Brad Bertelson. And my wife, Shelly, and I, and our daughter, Megan, um, call this our home church. We generally... Well, we always attend this service. I said that in the first service. I don't need to say that now because you guys know that I attend the second service, so I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, I also help uh, teach uh, the adult Sunday school class, the one on the Gospel of John. That's been really fun. We love teaching scripture. And uh, I'm also a missionary with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, doing uh, outreach to college students all over the state of Utah. And I'm one of the missionaries that this church supports. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of ministry and caring for college students on, uh, on all these campuses in Utah. And, and the truth is, almost every campus we're on, especially in central and southern Utah, and it, and it makes me sad to say this, but InterVarsity is the only Christian group on campus. The only one. So if it wasn't for you guys and other dear friends and, and folks who, who give, that wouldn't be possible, and there would be zero Christian witness on those places. So thank you for doing that. I personally just love studying scripture with people. I'm not a scholar, I, uh, but I love getting into the Word of God with people and wrestling with the Word of God. The Word of God is beautiful. The Word of God is sometimes puzzling or, or baffling. Um, it's sometimes really convicting, and uh, it's often inspiring, but the Word of God is always life-giving. So I... 
I'm just thankful for this chance to get to do this with you guys. Um, question, have you ever studied for an exam only to get to the exam and realize you studied the wrong stuff? Has anyone done that besides me? Oh, God bless you all. That just makes me feel so much better. Because that's just the worst, and, and I failed the exam because I studied the wrong stuff. Or, or maybe even more serious, right? If you ever invested all of your life savings into something that everyone said, this thing's going to take off, and you'll get to retire. It's going to be fantastic. Only to have that stock or that investment crash and burn, and you, you lose everything. And I don't know. Most of us are old enough to remember Enron in the 1990s. Remember how many people lost their, their life savings, and it was just terrible. Those kinds of stories um, kind of make us sick to think of people who saved their whole lives and invested in something that they thought that was going to be reliable and good, only to be to lose everything. It's terrible. Kind of like when someone puts all their eggs in a basket only to find that later that the bottom has fallen out of the basket. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about missing the boat. He said, when you're in the Navy, you never want to miss the boat. That makes sense. He says, you want to make sure that you know when the boat is departing and that you're not distracted by other less important things or else you could miss the boat and that would be disastrous. You know, you and I have one life to live. We get one shot at it. I don't know about you. I really want to get it right. I don't want to have any regrets. I want to put my eggs in the right basket, and I don't want to miss the boat. You know, I see too many people, the longer I live, I see too many people who lose their way pouring all their time, energy, and resources into the wrong things, only to find that their life is empty and they wish they could do it all over again, but they can't. I've been intrigued by and inspired over the past three months about the idea of the kingdom of God and Jesus as its king. I'm excited to share some of my thoughts and reminiscings on this subject with you. Things that I believe that God has been stirring in my own soul for months. And maybe this will help you and me keep the primary thing primary. And we won't lose our way in this life. Our first scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. You'll see it on, up here on the screen. And if you want, there's a Bible in your pew, you could follow along there. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Mark 1, 14 and 15. It says like this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This short declaration by Jesus is central to the whole message of Jesus. And it basically tells us a few simple things. One, that there's good news. 
Two, that the good news has to deal with the kingdom of God. Three, that there's a need for repentance. And four, that there's an invitation to believe the good news. So let's look at these. First and foremost, the message Jesus proclaimed, he says, was good news. Not bad news. Not mediocre news. Not, yeah, yeah, so-so news. Good news. You know, in our secular culture in the West and in the university, I work you know, with a lot of university students, um, there are a lot of people that actually think that Christianity is bad news. That, that speak out as it being, uh, Christianity being oppressive, destructive, even evil. I hear those kinds of things. But Jesus said he brings good news. The term good news is also the same word that we use when we say the word gospel. Gospel is good news, good news gospel. Uh, which means news that brings joy. Jesus says, I bring news that brings joy. And it's not just any ordinary news, you know, like when Matt's like, hey, I got a cup of coffee. Like, that's news, but that's really not, you know, who cares? I mean, I care, I care. Matt, don't, don't get me wrong, I care, but. No, it's, it's not ordinary news, but history-making, life-changing news. There's a, an extra-biblical uh, example of how this word gospel or good news is used from the time of Christ. There, archaeologists found in a particular city a clay tablet, and on this clay tablet, it was written, it said, quote, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Isn't that interesting? The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And, what, and then it went on to explain, it's the story of the birth and coronation of the Roman emperor. Good news, everybody. Roman Empire, good news. Caesar has been born. Caesar Augustus has been born. And he is being crowned the emperor. Good news for everybody, right? This is the, how this word was used in that time. So a gospel is an, is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that has been done for you that changes your status forever. So good news. Jesus also said it has to deal with the kingdom of God. Kingdom implies a reign, right? You have a kingdom, you have to have a reign, a domain, uh, subjects, and it implies a king. Jesus, as the, the New Testament lays out quite clearly and elaborately, Jesus is revealed as that king, the king of the kingdom of God. In his wonderful book on the Gospel of Mark, entitled King's Cross, Pastor Timothy Keller writes this. Should be on a slide. What is the good news of the kingdom of God? In the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, we see that we were created to live in a world in which all relationships were whole, psychologically and socially perfect, because God was the king. But, big but, right? But Genesis, chapter 3, tells the next part of our story that we have each chosen to be our own king. We have gone the way of self-centeredness, and self-centeredness destroys relationships. Pastor Keller goes on to say, when we decide to be our own center, our own king, everything falls apart, physically, socially, spiritually, and psychologically. So what is the good news of the kingdom of God, Keller? Keller continues, he says, 
a true king will come back to put everything right and renew the entire world. The good news of the kingdom of God is this. Jesus is that true king. That is the good news. And he comes to make everything right. So when Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God is near, he's really saying the kingdom of God is near, and I am the king of that kingdom. But what kind of king is Jesus, you might ask? What kind of king is Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what, Jesus is no ordinary king. This king, Jesus, came to earth in poverty and obscurity. This king lived among the people like a commoner. This king gave his life in service to the poor and the outcast. This king called, as his leaders, a ragtag bunch of fishermen, because we all know fishermen are sketchy, Fishermen, tax collectors, and ordinary guys. I like fishing, just so you know. He, but that's who he called as his leaders. Fishermen, tax collectors, just ordinary dudes. This king said that he came, this, is, this blows my mind. This king said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Though innocent, this king, Jesus, died a criminal's death to forgive the sins of the whole world. This king said that whoever would be the greatest in his kingdom must be the servant of all. Citizenship into this kingdom comes not through power or prestige or wealth or beauty, Entrance is gained through recognizing one's own sinfulness, one's own weakness, unworthiness, and coming to God in a posture of humility. The Old Testament tells us, and I think it was in one of our songs, a contrite heart God will never turn away. Jesus is no ordinary king. He is the true king. So the kingdom of God has come, come near. Repent and believe the good news. What does it mean to repent? Repent means to change your mind, to reverse course. You're going this way, and to repent means to turn around and go this way. Or as one of my colleagues in InterVarsity said when teaching through the Gospel of Mark, repenting means turning away from anything, and it could even be a good thing, to turn away from anything that keeps you from following Jesus. Does that make sense? Because there are some good things in this world, but that keep us from following Jesus. So what does it mean to repent? Turn away from anything that keeps you from following Jesus. What does it mean to believe? It means to put your confidence in, to put your trust in the good news. It's not just mental assent to an idea. I mean, Jesus said, the, the scripture says itself, the devil believes in God. The devil believes in Jesus doesn't do him any good. He's still condemned, right? So it's not just saying I believe in God, but it's a full life living out what you say is true and right. This was Jesus' basic message. The kingdom of God is near, my kingdom. Turn back to God and trust in me. I am the good king. So 
What does Jesus have to say about his kingdom? Jesus has a lot to say about his kingdom. There are parables and teachings throughout the New Testament, especially the Gospels, that talk about the kingdom. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is talked about over a hundred times in the New Testament. It'd be a fascinating study. I'd love for you to go and say, I'm going to see what the New Testament has to say about the kingdom of God. And there's a ton there. But I want to highlight two really, really small parables out of Matthew 13. So Jesus is on the shore of Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee. He's talking to the multitudes. And uh, after he, he's telling them parables, and a lot of these parables are about the kingdom of God. And then he retreats with his disciples to a house. And the disciples are like, Jesus, what, what was this about? What was that about? And Jesus explains it to his disciples. And, and that's the context where Jesus shares these two little bitty but potent parables. So Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, these are terms that are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Um, in the, the Gospel of Matthew, he often uses the term kingdom of heaven. And it's fun because as I was studying, I've always wondered why Matthew used kingdom of heaven and the other gospel writers use the kingdom of God. And one of the commentators said, and I thought it was really helpful, he's like, Matthew's main audience was Jews, and Jews were always reluctant to say the name of God. And so he, for their sake, he refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. But uh, Mark, Luke, and John usually use the term kingdom of God but they're interchangeable. So there you go. Now you know that. That was a freebie. Um, Jesus tells these parables about the kingdom of God to help us understand what it's like. And to be clear, Jesus isn't talking about religion in general or about being spiritual. He's talking specifically about the nature of the kingdom of God as presented in the Bible, the kingdom over which Jesus alone is king and reigns. Okay, so Jesus says in the first parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. A treasure of immense value and worth. It's extraordinary, and it's so valuable that it's worth giving up everything for. Right, so imagine the story Jesus tells. He says, there's a guy out in the field working. We don't know if he's digging a hole or hoeing or plowing, but somewhere he, he hits something. He's like, oh, I wonder what that is. Goes around, he digs it. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a box of some sort. He keeps digging, and he opens it, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's full of gold. And they, these things actually happened, as I was, I was reading, because they didn't have, in those days, a, like banks to put their stuff. The people, because there were often armies and invaders, the people come, people hid stuff in the ground. You just had to remember where you put it. And so, like, this actually happens. Like, this wouldn't have been you know, like, make-believe. And so he finds this thing full of gold, and he's, he can tell, he's like, this is worth a fortune. So he covers it up, and he goes, and he's like, finds the owner of the property, and he says, hey, I'd like to buy that lot of, that piece of land over there that you got. What do you want that for? Ah, it's just kind of nice. I want to build a little house for the wife and kids. You know, have a garden. It's just, I just like it, you know. 
Of course, he's lying through his teeth, right? He's not going to tell him, oh, there's $5 million worth of gold sitting in there, right? He's not gonna... So the guy's like, well, okay, yeah, I'll sell it to you, $20,000, $20, for example. I'm just making that up, right? That... And so he, the guy goes, and he sells everything he has. He sells his CDs. He sells his computer. He sells his mountain bike. He tries to sell his little brother, but his mother says, no. Um, no, he sells everything he can. He scrapes and scrounges until he can come up with 20 grand. And he comes... He says, here's the 20 grand. And the guy's like, well, okay, dude. And so he signs over the title. The guy, and the guy goes around back and he's like, this is amazing. I own the land and in the land is treasure. Right? He's so, and it says that, in his joy. Right? He's like, this is, this is the best. The second parable is similar. Jesus says the kingdom is like a merchant who spends his life looking for the best, most lovely pearl. And he finds it. He has other pearls, probably because that's what he does, right? He has other stuff that's valuable. But when he finds this one, I wonder if it's kind of like the, the ring in the Lord of the Rings. You know, it's like, oh, oh, oh. And, and he, he says, how much is it? And he goes and he sells everything he has. And he comes and he buys that one pearl. Because it's so lovely. It's so beautiful. The main point of both of these parables is the surpassing worth and loveliness of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is so extraordinarily great and valuable and beautiful that it merits the forsaking of all else to have it. Man, I, that's what Jesus is saying. And notice in both stories, he said, it's, he went, it says this, it says, and he went and sold everything he had in order to get either the treasure or the pearl. Everything. So what, what would you sell everything, like your house, your cars, your whatever, what would you sell everything to obtain? Can you think of anything? Like, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of anything that I would give everything for. But may, maybe love, for those of you that are romantics, right? And I, I saw someone elbow their husband. No, I didn't, I didn't do that. Maybe for love, maybe for riches. Maybe for truth. But that's a big deal. Some would say that these people, these two characters in these parables, made tremendous sacrifice. Boy, it was, it was costly. It cost them everything. What a huge sacrifice. I don't think I agree. I don't think it was a big sacrifice. But Brad, they gave everything. Yeah. But look what they got. Okay, so I need to know, I, I'm looking for any, anyone in the crowd that's say, under the age of 17 or 18, 17, anyone in the crowd under the age of 17 that, that has, like, maybe a quarter or a dollar in their pocket? Anyone? Anyone have any money at all? I'm looking, these lights are bright. I need a kid, a young person, young male or female. Anyone got one? You got, I see kids looking. Mom, Dad, if you want to slip them a quarter, you can do that, or a dollar. Anyone? Over there, you guys, anyone got a... Come on, some kid. Come on, mom or dad, come to the rescue. Okay, come on. 
Oh, this is fantastic. I love this. What do you have? A dollar. Wow. Just want to make sure it's real. Okay, and your name? Marie. Marie. Okay, give your dollar back. So, <clears throat> I'm just wondering if, would you give me that dollar if I gave you this 20? Yes. Are you sure? <laughs> now, do you want to think about it? Do you want to ask your parents? Mom, Dad, is this a good deal? Because I could be ripping her off. I mean, you know, those missionary types. Um, are you sure? Okay, I want, thank you for the dollar. Here's 20. Now, was that a sacrifice? Why not? Is it a sacrifice for her to give me $1 to get 20? No. Thanks, honey. She's a genius. Right? I know you're excited for me because I got a dollar. No. Like, she's a genius because she made the trade. She traded up. Now, that might be the only dollar she had, but that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, these guys were thrilled to give everything they had because they knew what they were going to get. Does that make sense? So I don't think it was a big sacrifice, but it feels like it to us. But in their minds, like, are you kidding? It's the only reasonable, rational, intelligent thing to do. Sell everything I have and get that treasure or get that pearl. Everyone makes their own decisions about the kingdom of God and Jesus as the king. They either say, yes, I will do whatever it takes to be a part of the kingdom of God with Jesus as king, or they say, no thanks. I value my stuff. I value other things more. I value my dollar. You know, early in the gospel narratives, we see Jesus inviting different men to come and be his disciples, right? And he says, hey, come follow me. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing because in the gospels, it says this. It says, and immediately... They left their nets and followed him. Now, their nets represented more than just like a hobby. This was their livelihood. This was their business. For some of them, it was their family business. So in leaving their nets, they left a lot. They left everything and said, yeah. And they did it immediately, Mark says, and followed Jesus. A little bit later, we see Jesus finding this unsavory character named Levi, who was a tax collector, right? So he's a traitor. He's a, he's a scoundrel. He's like Enron kind of guy, right? Or whatever. Um, and Jesus says, Levi, come follow me. And you know what it says? And it says, and he arose and followed him. What? Like being a tax collector was a lucrative business. I mean, it really was. And he just got up, okay. And he left. He left it all. But if you remember last week, G uh, Pastor Steve taught us out of the, the story of the rich young ruler. Remember that? And this rich young ruler came, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven or something like that? And Jesus is like, well, you know what the, the commandments, oh, I've, I've, I've followed those masters since, since my youth. But Jesus knew what was important to him, right? And Jesus says, he says this, he says, one thing you, oh, and, and Steve pointed this out, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Remember that from last week? And loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, 
Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus invited the rich young ruler to come and follow him, to be his disciple, to become a part of the kingdom of God, but he would not do it. And I think this is an important thing to notice. It's not that he could not. It's that he would not. And so when Jesus says, oh, it's, it's very difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, it's not because they can't. It's because they won't. Right? Because we love our dollar too much. We love our stuff too much. Or, and for some people, it's not wealth. Right? For other people, it's, it's relationship, or it's power, or it's position. Right? We, we all struggle with different things that are vying to be the king in our lives. Sometimes it's just, it's just me. And Jesus says, will you let go of that and follow me? Remember, Jesus is the, the one who came up with this clever saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that you, you people worry about will be taken care of. It's not seek second, or seek, seek it when you have a chance, or just seek it Sunday morning, or seek it when the skiing's not good. It's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So what does it mean to enter the kingdom of God? In his commentary on Matthew, uh, William Barclay says this. He says, in studying the Lord's Prayer... We found that we could say that the kingdom of God is a state of society upon earth where God's will is as perfectly done as it is in heaven. Therefore, to enter the kingdom is to accept and do the will of God. Therefore, to enter the kingdom is to accept and do God's will. It's according to William Barclay. Um, I, I found this quote by Pastor Richard Phillips, Presbyterian pastor, and he says this, Since God is the true sovereign... There is no greater privilege than to serve him. Awe before his glory makes other pursuits diminish. Isn't that good? Makes other suits, dis, pursuits diminish. Not all are called to the, the prophetic office, which means like to be a pastor or to be in full-time ministry. So not all are called to the prophetic office. God calls people to be carpenters, lawyers, doctors, sound engine, engineers, and garbage men. But those who have seen the sovereignty of God see all of their labor as an opportunity to extend His reign and serve His kingdom. It's when we realize how great is the God we serve, how total is His sovereignty over all, and how glorious is His kingdom that we want to serve Him in all we do. I really like that. Nobody can make the decision for you, not your parents, not your spouse. Each one of us, men, women, youth, children, must make an individual response to the king in his kingdom. Will we serve him and do his will, or will we serve ourselves? So, is the kingdom of God that amazing? Is it that beautiful? Is it that valuable? Well, according to Jesus, yes. According to Jesus, it's a powerful yes. According to Jesus, it's a thousand times yes. It's that valuable. It's that amazing. So I have some questions for you. Some what-if questions. 
what if Jesus is right? What if the kingdom of God is the most valuable and most lovely thing in the cosmos? What if everything else, careers, educations, relationships, money, pleasure, power, possession, security, what if all these things are just way less important than we think they are? What if you and I have spent most of our time, energy, and resources seeking first the wrong things? What if Jesus is the actual best, most perfect, and glorious king of all? And I am living my life for myself or for a much inferior king? What if? The invitation of Jesus rings loud and clear. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, change your thinking, turn around, and believe the good news. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus the king. If you're not a part of God's kingdom, why not? He's amazing. The kingdom is amazing. Why not? Today's a new day. You can choose to give your heart, your mind, your devotion to Jesus, the King, from this day forward, if you want to. You can't change the past. What's done is done. That's fine. Let it go. But how you live tomorrow is still to be determined. Will you and will I choose citizenship in the kingdom of God, being willfully under his kingship in true dependence, reaping the fruit of that decision, or will we choose autonomy, independence, and what comes with that? So Jesus invites each one of us to come and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, you are the sovereign king, humble, mighty, good, compassionate, holy and just, full of mercy. Lord, you are amazing. God, would you help each one of us as we wrestle every day with the decision, today, who will I follow? Who will I serve? Will I serve God? Will I serve Jesus? Or will I serve myself? Or serve money or a career or some other Holy Spirit, would you give us the wisdom and the ability to say yes to you every day and to say no to ourselves, that we might find life, that we won't end up putting our eggs in the wrong basket, that we won't miss the ship. Oh, God, we want to be with you. Thank you for, for painting this beautiful picture in these parables of the surpassing beauty loveliness and value of your kingdom. Help us to understand that and help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.